Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, Cobb County's newest and largest city. Well, they have a new mayor, too, Michael Owens. He joins me in just a moment to talk about this newly incorporated city of Mapleton and his long-term vision for the community. Also, a new study found there's a key difference in how some police officers talk to black drivers in the first minutes of a traffic stop. I'll speak to the Virginia Tech researcher who found out how those first seconds of a traffic stop can escalate to an arrest or search. All that's coming up, but first some headlines to get to. More than 1,500 Georgians with Medicaid are losing their insurance, and this comes as the state reevaluates everyone on the program for continued coverage. We'll hear more from Jess Mador. In what's being called the Medicaid unwinding, the federal government is giving states until next summer to recertify all Medicaid recipients. Almost 3 million people in Georgia use Medicaid or Peach Care for Kids. And for months, advocates have sounded the alarm that many could be cut off for problems like missing renewal notifications, despite remaining eligible. Now, new state data show almost 1,600 people have lost coverage so far. Officials say this is because they failed to respond or didn't provide requested information. Anyone found ineligible for continued coverage can appeal State workers should connect them to other coverage options, too, including the federal health insurance marketplace found at healthcare.gov. Jess Mador, WABE News. In other news, as Atlanta moves forward with building its controversial police training center in the South River Force, Georgia Democrat and former gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams is concerned and has some concerns of her own, rather. Speaking with WABE's Lisa Ram, Abrams says she's especially leery about the arrest of three protesters who were charged with money laundering and charity fraud. I am concerned, as are so many, about the actions taken through the most recent arrest and whether they were predicated on legitimate information. The three were involved with the Atlanta Solidarity Fund, a group that has been fundraising bail money for arrested protesters. And some other news from Abrams. She's not ruling out uh, yet another run for office in the future. Politics will always be a part of who I am, and I will certainly consider standing for public office again in the future. But right now, my focus is on using my other tools and continuing the work that I believe needs to be done. Abrams is currently promoting her New York Times bestseller, Rogue Justice. And she was a guest on Morning Edition this week. And you can hear more of that interview online at WABE.org. Governor Brian Kemp will be abroad for almost two weeks on an international mission. He leaves this evening for the country of Georgia, where he will meet with the prime minister and Georgia National Guard members stationed there. Our National Guard has had a presence there for a long time. It's a very uh, important um, 
region of the world for national security for the United States. Uh, we're going to have a, a lot of folks over there training like we have in the past, and so I think it's important for us to really go there and learn and show our support. If you don't know, the country of Georgia borders Russia, Turkey, and the Black Sea, and the governor will then head to France afterwards for an economic development trip, including the Paris Air Show. A U.S. soldier in Georgia is just one of many high-profile fraud cases of people stealing money from the CARES Act. As Melissa Fato explains, the federal money was meant for COVID-19 relief. An Associated Press analysis says scammers potentially stole more than $280 billion in coronavirus relief funding. The widespread fraud has resulted in scores of convictions, several in Georgia. That includes a multi-million dollar scheme by an Army soldier stationed at Fort Stewart, who's now serving 42 months in prison. And there are many others, including a former Fulton County Sheriff's deputy, CEOs, music producers, and actors, all based in the state. Melissa Fato, WABE News. A handful of excuse me, a handful of rural Georgia communities are getting money to help expand high-speed internet access. The federal government and the Georgia governor's office both announced grants yesterday. White House Infrastructure Advisor Mitch Landru says quality internet isn't a luxury. Um, for all Americans, the internet is an essential tool to access education, healthcare, and jobs. Too many are left without high-speed internet because of access costs or lack of skills. Uh, In rural America, high-speed internet can connect people to opportunities that are miles or even states away. The federal government is giving a grant to Pembroke Telephone Company near Savannah to expand internet access in its area, and also four other grants for providers in South Georgia were announced by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Where were you? August 19th, 1912. I, I, I was never, I wasn't even here. But anyway, the city of Mapleton was incorporated. And after four short years in 1960, the city was disincorporated. Still trying to figure that out. But anyway, let's fast forward to 110 years later. Took a little time out of a city that movement pushed in November of 2022. Voters of the unincorporated unincorporated area of Mapleton voted yes for a referendum to incorporate. Six council members were elected on March 21st, 2023. Michael Owens, a Marine Corps veteran, cybersecurity executive, community leader, was elected mayor in a runoff on April 21st, 2023. And so here we are, which leads all to this. What you going to do now? He joins me in studio to talk about top priorities 
and the ongoing work of establishing a new city, which is not easy. Mayor Owens, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rose. So happy to be here today. Are you still getting used to Mayor Owens, Mr. Mayor? I am. Yeah. I'm definitely still getting used to it. Uh, I've been called a lot of things, but uh, mayor, is, mayor is pretty good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, the mayor is probably, it's on a... It's, it's way up there for okay. sure. Let's back up again, because it takes a lot to get folks a community. I mean, obviously there were those who voted yes and there's those who voted no. Are you also spending this these first few months trying to bring the yes and the no's together and say, look, we're a city now, so whether you wanted it to be or not, let's we got to work together. Are you spending some time having to mend that? I, I think, you know, it's not just that, that I'm a new mayor um, and we have new city council members. It's the fact that it's a brand new city. Mm-hmm. And what I think a lot of people fail to realize is there are, there are basic things that we have to do to be able to stand the city up. Um, you know, my, my goal as mayor is to provide, uh, to be able to build this city and be able to put the pieces in place to be able to provide services, quality, best of quality of life for everyone in the city, no matter what neighborhood they live in or what district or, quite frankly, how they voted uh, on the referendum to create the city. You know, a, a lot of our most ardent supporters now and volunteers are people who initially had voted no. So, you know, the, the idea of, of cityhood um, was was new to people. Mm-hmm. And, and change, is, change is always hard. We understand that. But, you know, I, I'm spending a lot of time now just doing those basic things uh, that we need to do to really get the city stood up and so we can move forward. Let's set the boundaries for folks who may not know. They say, oh, I've heard of Mapleton, but we know that it's in Cobb County now, the largest city in Cobb County. How Indeed. many uh, the population now? 77,500 roughly. That's a lot of people. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of people. I mean, immediately. And, you know, before it was incorporated, Mableton was already a very large community, mm-hmm. you know, or census-designated place, as they call it. Um, but we were one of the largest communities in the state before we even incorporated. Uh, but it is it is a pretty big deal now, being the largest city, almost 78,000 people, uh, that, that encompasses a large area throughout the South Cobb area. That's a backup, and this is a what they call as I guess strong mayor terms of government, or is it city council? It, it's a mayor council. It's a it's a weak mayor. Um, the, the way that the charter is actually designed, it's it's kind of a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know, as the mayor, we will put in a city. I'm sorry, we will put in a city manager, mm-hmm. and that city manager will then be able to handle the day to day activities of uh of running the city and the department heads ultimately reporting to the city manager and then uh as mayor i have specific duties um as as well as the council mm-hmm. so i would like to tell people as one of my duties as mayor is chief advocate you know yeah. chief advocate for the policies uh and ordinances that we create but that form of government some folks like others don't because at the end of the day some say well it comes down into what happens with the city council or the city manager can you make appointments you know, can you sign off on development deals or does it have to then go through the city council or city manager? Like, how is this a, an authority? People may not like that word, sure. but, you know, how is this power? Yeah, I, I would definitely uh, say it's a hybrid, okay. you know. So if you look at what we've done thus far, we've we have an interim uh, city attorney and an interim mm-hmm. clerk. So those were roles that I nominated or appointed, mm-hmm. uh, but the council had to actually confirm. So sure. if you think about United States Senate, right, where. The, the president would nominate someone and then the confirmation comes through the Senate. Um, there's a similar structure that we have here with, with those key appointed roles. 
Let's talk about services you all will provide and others that will continue to come from the county. What are they? What's the yeah, so um, th- so the, the impetus of the city was based on the feasibility study that was done several years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and that feasibility study, for those who don't know, is a study that was done by the Carl Vincent Institute out of uh, University of Georgia. Everybody uses them. Yeah, that, exactly. So <laughs> they basically said, hey, here's the four services you could use to have a viable city. And that was city planning, code, um, city planning, code enforcement, parks and recreation, and sanitation. Mm-hmm. So those are the four services. As you know, to be a city in the state of Georgia, you have to have at least three services. Mm-hmm. Um, so being the fact that our study was based on those four services, those are the ones that we are we're at least looking at. Three of those obviously are being handled by the county. So, um, you know, we're entering discussions and conversations with the county about that. And, of course, public safety is always a, a, at the top, if not the top. So in terms of public safety, all that still comes from the County, Cobb still, County still comes from the county, and and I can tell you that there's a fantastic relationship we have with Cobb County Police Department, uh, as well as uh, Sheriff Craig Owens, mm-hmm. who is our, our sheriff, uh, who is at our one of our initial no meetings. No relation. So. No relation. Not that we know of. Not that we know <laughs> okay. of. Let's talk then about what this city. You know, I, I just had a conversation. As a matter of fact, a lot of my conversations deal with identity. When we ask communities about their identity, because I think that helps in either sell you know, or give the perception. What is Mapleton's identity here? You know, Mapleton is such a unique place. And and our identity is shifting and changing uh, dynamically now because now that, that we are incorporated as a city, our lines changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we are quite a bit larger than we were before. There's, um, you know, a lot of people that had Austell addresses mm-hmm. uh, that never lived in the city of Austell, but they had Austell addresses that are now make up a large part of Mapleton. There are some uh, that have Smyrna addresses as well. Um, you know, City of of Mableton now incorporates Six Flags. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a large area along the. And I always thought it was Austell. Yes, you know. Yeah. Um, so there uh, again, a lot of areas within there that have Austell addresses, but we're not technically within the city limits. So let's give those boundaries and the limits now. Now that you are a city, what are they? Yeah, you know, um, I'll just kind of be for for people who don't know the area, just try to lay out some some markers. First and foremost, we're we're right along. We do border to Chattahoochee, mm-hmm. so coming out Veterans Memorial from Atlanta, the Chattahoochee is that demarcation line, not only between our two counties, between Fulton and Cobb, but now it's also between the, the city of Atlanta and, mm-hmm. and Mableton. And um, so the northern area is vet, uh, east-west connector. If people have traveled east-west connector, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much all the way east-west connector until it runs into Barrett Parkway, which starts to kind of get on that border of Powder Springs and then on, on out into West Cobb. It appears that Mableton also is unique, too, because you have a lot of state, roadways that are running all up and through there and then you have some what are you all going to be responsible for any in terms of your as it relates to transit you know transit and as you know if there's a pothole you'll hear about it but it, i imagine too g dot will still handle all of that but then you're all going to pick up the responsibility for some of these road issues well. at, at, at some point in time some we point. continue to grow not right now, the city and not right now and but to your point veterans memorial highway us 78 the Bankhead, old Bankhead Highway. It's going to be all you. That is, well, that's a state highway. Okay. So, you know, there's already a couple of discussions with with, uh, with GDOT that we have uh, planned to have because, yeah, we have a state road running right through mm-hmm. the heart of our city. And, you know, so there's the county right now is responsible for the, the right-of-ways and for the upkeep and maintenance of, of the roads on the side or the land on the side. Um, but we'll have to continue to have conversation with GDOT about that. But, you know, the, the identity of the city it's still one that's that's forming. You know, we are, um, I always like to say we're a very diverse city. 
in in realms every of every mayor tells me that every race. mayor that comes here and sits there and <laughs> says we're Rose we're a very diverse city. I'll, I'll say look, look at our numbers, right? Look at our numbers. We are, um, you know, it's f- not only racially, culturally, socioeconomically um, very diverse as well, and and those are all good things. That 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 brings more identity to cities. Then how does that also help you identify in terms of your vision along with city council and city manager? in what you want Mableton to grow into. Because when you talk about this diverse population, this diverse community, you got to look at economic development. You know, Are you bringing in those businesses that reflect, you know, the makeup of the new city of Mapleton? Housing affordability, we're going to get that in just a minute because sure. everyone wants talk about that. But are you using that then, that, that identity that you just talked about? We're still growing, but we're very diverse. Are you using that to determine what we want to bring into this city, how we want to help this city grow? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I'll say first and foremost, though, that our our attention is about the residents that are there and the people that, that do live there already. And we have a lot of people that live in Mableton, depending on what part of the city is in. But a lot of people live there because of the convenience. You know, um, it's we're we border Atlanta. We're eight, nine miles from Midtown. And we're right off Interstate 20 and 285. So a lot of people find it convenient to live in Mableton. And what we want to do is make it more than just be a convenient place to live in. We want to make sure that the residents there are able to spend their money and their leisure time actually doing activities and bolstering our own economic, uh, com- our own economic viability within the community. So let's talk about that then. And you look at, and look, everyone loves economic development, you know, depending on who you ask, because it helps. But there are also some concerns. So what what are you wanting to attract? What type of businesses or sectors do you think fit in to the city of Mapleton? Do you have room for them? I see a lot of car dealerships, car lots on that main stretch there. Nothing wrong on with Vesemore. that. On Vesemore. Yeah. So. You know, that, that, that harkens back to some of Mapleton's past, right? Back from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, you'll still see a lot of those strip malls still mm-hmm. in a lot of ways look the same. Um, there are changes that are coming and, and, and undoubtedly to the area now that we're a city and we can truly start to advocate what we want the city to look like. What do you want? You know, um, you know, we, we want to, we want to ensure we have a city again, that number one caters to our residents, you know? So if that means, you know, bringing in um, more restaurants, entertainment areas where uh, people can celebrate birthdays and anniversaries without having to go somewhere else, you know, when it comes to economic uh, development opportunities from housing is you said, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but mm-hmm. obviously that's one of, one of those key things. You know, I want to look at technology and sustainability. Uh, again, we're super close to the airport and mm-hmm. the, the ability, you know, to have us where we where we are logistically makes a lot of sense for a lot of companies that want to house and have headquarters or, or you know, uh, other outlets in, in the Atlanta area. I think we're very attractive. And but what does that also lends itself to in terms of your workforce development for folks who live in the area? I mean, they want to work in the area. Yeah, they want to be able because they want to be able to afford We'll get to affordable housing. They want to be able to afford to live there. So they need jobs. Yeah. Shout out to Cobb County. We just took a um, a old fire station, and we're now redeveloping it into a Cobb workforce development uh, location right there in the heart of Mableton. So uh, we know we have those opportunities. We want to look for more of those training opportunities as well. As we look to attract more businesses, we want to make sure that um, – that the talent that we have, talent that we already do have in Mableton, that those people can work closer to where they live. And that's, you know, whether you're an aeronautical engineer, whether mm-hmm. but also if you're a teacher or a fireman as well. And then how do you, along with that, make sure then that all of those smaller mom and pop, those car dealerships that have been there for so long, how do you make sure they also can stay there and not get 
driven out. You know, there's there's a challenge there, no doubt. I mean, it, some of the areas along there do need redevelopment. Some of them, um, you know, because of absentee owners or whatever the case may be, uh, needs to be brought up to current code. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's hard conversations that need to have, but they they will happen. And and also, it's not about just demolishing everything that was there. You know, I've, I've as I can't travel anywhere now without looking at you know a, an existing establishment and, going and hey, saying, you know what could go here? Exactly, we could put something you know? a coffee shop. And if I'm traveling, if I'm you know if I'm in Decatur or if I'm if I'm in you know Buckhead or if I'm in East Point, I'm looking at what they're doing and I'm going, hey, would maybe we could repurpose one of those 1960s strip malls into something that that Tucko Hills did? Maybe. Well, you have small small business incubator programs. I mean, it seems to be what a lot of the smaller cities. I talked to the mayor of Forest Park. She talked about trying to you know have programs you know to incentivize more small business owners. Do you all need to do that or think about doing it? We definitely do. You know, and I I, I want to protect small business. I want to make sure that small businesses you know can flourish in Mableton. And I've also seen a trend. I'm sure you've seen as well is that a lot of times people people want to go to the small mom and pop establishment. They want to go to the local company or local business that's there that knows you by name and that's that's catering directly to the local community. And feeding back into that. So we definitely have opportunities for that. And, you know, I, I think that as a city, we can help champion that. And are there pockets where there is uh, some concerns as it relates to food insecurity? Without a doubt. So how are you going to address that? Yeah, you know, that was that was something I talked about during my campaign a lot, uh, that, that we have, you know, an entire part of the city that uh, for you know, many people would say is a food desert, mm-hmm. you know. And if you look at where our grocery stores are strategically located they're all north of veterans mm-hmm. more for the most part we have you know um we have some small markets south of that but you know if you want some fresh food if you want a lettuce a cucumber you know that's a that's a quite a travel for someone so we want to focus on making sure we can you know close the gap mm-hmm. with food insecurity food deserts and and healthcare as well Healthcare is another one of those things where if you look at the south southern part of our city um there's some things in the works but, you know, we need OBGYNs, we need dentists, we need, you know, whole health medicine. Do you have outpatient service centers? I had a conversation with Dr. with John Hopper yesterday from Grady talking about they have some to address the void that was left by the Wellstar, you know, closures. What's the situation like in Mapleton? Do you have? I mean, we, we do have Cop Wellstar Hospital, yeah, which is, but, you know, I mean, the, the major hospital that's there. My mom retired from, yeah. from that hospital. But again, if you go south of that, you, you go south of Warren Fenners Memorial, can we get an urgent care? Right. And so you have some challenges. No doubt. No you doubt. have some challenges along the economic line. Or you have some challenges in terms of low wage earners. Or, you, know, you have some challenges for folks who may have maybe uninsured or underinsured when it comes to health care. So you've got a lot to, to try to figure out, <laughs> not just you, but the city council. Yeah, and, you know, and, and, and we're all up for it, every single one of us. And, you know, it's not it's not unique to Mableton. Every city has these challenges. Uh, as a new city, I think we have the great opportunity because we get to look and see what other cities have done and avoid their pitfalls. We get to start with a clean slate, if you will, and put those pieces in place right from the beginning. What's a pitfall you want to avoid? You looked at other cities. Getting in over our skis, I think, with some things, right? As as being a brand new city, making sure that we're being fiscally responsible, um, that you know we don't run after every shiny light that's that's out there. We put together a solid plan and move diligently towards that. And I think the other thing is uh, establishing uh, deadlines around certain things that that aren't realistic, right? Setting expectations, I mm-hmm. think, is going to be key for us as we move forward. 
If you just joined us, I'm in conversation with the new mayor for the new city of Mapleton, Michael Owens. Now, is it the city of Mapleton or is it just Mapleton? Because I'll get an email. We just Mapleton or we city of Mapleton? What do you prefer? It, it has been known as Mapleton <laughs> for, what, 110 years. Uh, I think we can still call it Mapleton. I think our, our charter is going to say the city of Mapleton, but um, people are still going to say Mapleton. That's okay, fine. now you ready to talk affordable housing? Yes, indeed. Right. How do you define yeah. how do you define affordable housing? What does it look like? You know, I, I think that term itself, affordable housing, means a lot of things to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you also hear attainable housing and and workforce housing because affordable housing is affordable to you if you can afford to buy it and live in it. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, if you can, you can afford can. to rent it. You know, so affordable <laughs> can mean a lot of different things. Again, talking about the diversity in our city, you know, we have we have um, you know. Two million dollar homes, and we have, you know, apartments that uh, unfortunately are continue to go up and up in price. But that's a challenge again that we're seeing not only in Mableton but across Cobb and across Metro Atlanta. Um, you know, I, I spoke a lot during our campaign, and so did many others that were running for office, um, understanding what those challenges were. Um, and I think that the first first thing you can do as far as addressing those and fixing those is acknowledging that there's a there's problems there. So I think, you know, when we talk affordable housing, when you talk workforce housing, I mentioned earlier about if we have teachers and and um, uh, public health professionals, I want to make sure that they can actually live where they actually work. Listen, back in May 2023, which was just, what, last month, mm-hmm. according to our researchers, the median listing home price in Mapleton, Georgia, was $389,000, trending up 10.4% from the year before yeah that's a lot yeah a lot um and 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 you know there's a there's a duality that comes with that because as more people find out the hidden jewel that mableton is um you know and more people want to move there you know one solution is to build more housing obviously right well i mean it's a supply and demand it always is yeah, but the housing um, stock has been it's been low for for years now but it's also about about building homes so wh- that people can afford. So wh- what right? what makes you think you'll get more developers out there as opposed because everyone wants to live, you know, sort of in town? You know what? Well, there's a lot of people don't want to live in town. That's true too. <laughs> okay. You know, and I think there's a lot of people that want to that want the proximity. Again, we're you know we border Atlanta. I think there's a lot of people that want that proximity to Atlanta, but don't necessarily want to live in Atlanta. And I think we are very advantageous to those, not only as as individuals um, or homeowners, but also people that are ready to get out and maybe start a family. They're going to go right outside of the city, as well as a lot of people that want to start businesses, large and small businesses. All right. But if you look, you know, property taxes as well, you know, I mean, it's great to have that, I guess what they call a, a very diverse housing stock. But depending on who you ask to, you know, everybody wants their neighborhood to be reflective of their character. Mm-hmm. So you've got issues with multifamily housing and single family housing and all of that. How, are you all going to be working on some legislation to work through that? Or are you, you know, you know, Mabel is a, a city of almost 78,000 people. As I like to say, we have room for all of that, right? Single family, multifamily, um, you know, because as people mature through their life, they want different things. So in a lot of ways, we're not, you know, the, the person that wants the, the, the acre of land and, and, and the fence and, and the long dirt road, they're, they're not competing with the person who wants to live in the work, live, play, you know, condo with a coffee shop below them, right? They're not mm-hmm. competing because they inherently want different things out of their life or they're at different points. So, you know, m- my idea, my goal around maturing that was, is that, you know, you could go from being a kid 
growing up to, you know, leaving college and starting a family, you know, getting a starter home and, and going on to your, your dream home all mm-hmm. within the city of Mableton. I think that's possible. Will you all have a housing authority? Or do you have one already? We, we, we do not. Okay. Um, and, and ultimately, there will be committees that will be stood up um, to address those, these issues specifically. You feel that it's important to have, though? I do think it's important mm-hmm. to have because, you know, while I've continued to say, hey, this is not a, a Mableton issue, it's much larger than that, mm-hmm. um, we still have a duty to do everything that we can to ensure that we understand the issues, both macro and micro, and put policies in place to be able to help residents. You know, and, 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 and Rose, that's why... You know, even even now, one of the one of the first things that we did in these discussions, I said with the county was Mableton is is, is now the only city in Cobb County that does not have a millage rate. We do mm-hmm. not impose a city tax, a property tax on our residents. And that is that is on purpose. That's not just a campaign promise. That's something that we want to see through. You want to make sure that that holds. We do. We okay. absolutely do. But but that's also something that we want to start off with from mm-hmm. the beginning, right? To show where our values are, to show that our residents, our citizens are of, of top importance to us. And how do we do that? By relieving some of that burden uh, that, that they would have. And a lot of people, let's be honest, a lot of people was very scared about there being a city yeah. because we were going to come in and impose taxes uh, and, and specifically property, property tax, taxes um, that would that would add another layer of inconvenience on top of the already raising rates. So but you're not saying it won't ever happen. I'm saying in 2023, we have not levied a property tax. And that is something that we want to keep true going forward. Right. So we're off to a great start. We've done it. We said we were going to do it. Um, You know, we have officially notified the county that we will not be levying uh, a millage rate this year, and that's something that we plan on reinstituting year after year. So, with the services that you all are going to provide, because as you mentioned, at least a minimum of three, how is that? Where does that revenue come from? There's a, there's a multitude of different revenues that that uh, is sitting, not just Mableton, but all cities. And I think the the um, feasibility study showed about 16 different different ways of, of getting revenue. Now don't y'all just give um, folks parking tickets all up and down. <laughs> Venice Royal. No, we do not. We do not plan on that. Um, although, you know, that's, that, that is one area that we do need to make sure people are observing the speed limit. We need to make sure, unfortunately, we did have a, a crossing guard got killed several years ago, if I you remember, remember, right there on Veterans Memorial. So, um, again, as a city, we, you know, safety is our top priority. Well, speeding so and parking sure. are two different things. That, indeed, it okay. is. But, but yes, I mean, through, through franchise fees, right, that, um, and people aren't familiar with franchise fees. Those are fees that um, come from uh, utilities, mm-hmm. basically from using the right-of-ways of the city. There's a, a franchise fees imposed, and we will get those money. And that's that's a lot of revenue as well. In terms of the utilities as well, because it, we could do a whole other show on however the utility situation is. In East Point and College Park, I don't quite understand it. been trying to for years. But in terms of what, at Mapleton now, with your utilities and, and your other uh, infrastructures, you all are set with where folks pay that and where it goes to. I mean, you don't have any other different. No, we no, we will not have any um, additional or different places where people to pay things. You know, um, since since we got elected April eighteenth, June first was the day that officially the lights got turned on. Mm-hmm. Um, but structurally, from that perspective, there's nothing that's changed. You know, the the state charter that that created the city gives us two years to be able to take over these services that we talked about a little while ago. Um, and so throughout that two-year process, right, that's that's the city of Mableton and Cobb County 
working through negotiating, completing our, our IGAs, our intergovernmental agreements, mm-hmm. uh, that basically says, you know, what, what's going to be what, who's going to pay who. Um, and there's always been some advancements. You know, we, we met with uh, our tax commissioner, Carla Jackson, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago and had a very great conversation around that and was able to get some of those things established working through the Department of Revenue. Um, so, you know, one of our first sources of revenue will probably will wind up coming from the ad valorem tax for when you buy and sell a vehicle. Um, and, and well, you got a lot of <laughs> dealerships there, so <laughs> that may be to our that, plus. That, yeah, y'all got a lot of them. We have a lot. We have a lot. As we begin to wrap up, you when you were campaigning and you talked about why you wanted to be mayor, and sort of your vision for it. Dev, do you give yourself sort of an internal checklist of this is what I want to accomplish the first 100 days, or this is what I want to do by the end of the year, and then also too, you know. Who holds Michael Owens accountable? Well, you know, the residents of Mableton hold me accountable. And I've, and I've always said, hey, you know, I am I am running because um, this is where I live. It's where my kids go to school. It's, it's an area that's important to me. And and, and quite frankly, I, I can do the job. And so, so now we're here. So definitely every single resident of Mableton I expect to hold me accountable. You know, as, as far as, you know, as we're moving forward, it, I call it a startup government. And this is essentially what it is. And for anybody that's ever you started are in the uh, infant stage, yeah, any, anybody that's <laughs> ever started a new business, right? You, you can gain some appreciation for what we're doing as a city, um, literally day by day, going through the the intricate things of some are intricate and some things are not so much, right? Getting an EIN, for example, mm-hmm. right? If you've ever started a business, so those are the type of things we have to do. Where are we going to meet at? Um, and you know, we don't have a a cash problem. We have a cash flow problem right now. Um, because we have we have funds that will come in that we know, um, but we don't have those starting off as a brand new city. So you know a lot of things that we're working through now is is, is working with community leaders and uh, community partners and and helping to build this thing as we go. And you know we have thousands and thousands of residents that are excited about this that want to be successful and are chipping any way they can to make it happen. And finally, with trust, and as you know, there is a city on the other end of Fulton that. Uh, Obviously, you had some trust issues with its mayor. Um, you have an open door policy, transparency, and accountability. Every city government talks about that. Every city official talks about that. You have a process in place so that residents know that whether it's from someone obtaining a business license or, you know, an RFP to pave whatever, a city parking lot, that transparency is going to be at the heart of this new city. Yeah, you know, Rose, um, when I throughout the course of the campaign on, on every piece of literature on the website and everything else, I my my personal cell phone number was there, right, and so was my email address. And after I won, I did not change it. <laughs> it's still my same number. Um, obviously, that's not sustainable on a, on a large scale. But the speaking to transparency and availability and openness, uh, that is something absolutely we are doing. Um, another example of that is you know our, our, our second meeting ever. Um, you know, I put forth a, a resolution around ethics mm-hmm. and an ordinance specifically around having an ethical city and what that meant. Uh, and we're working now to establish a board of uh, a board of ethics in the city because I believe that you lead with where your values are. All so right. I want to make sure we, we put that out there front and center. And we didn't get a chance to get to sustainability efforts, and but we'll get to that because you're going to come back and give us an update, right? I'm more, more than happy to, Now, of course. Do, you, do you have a barbecue place and an ice cream place out there? You know, we have a great one of the one of the best barbecue places uh, ranked across the state is in a sitco um, of all places. 
um, off of Floyd Road. So if you come up and down Floyd Road, people will understand that Veterans Memorial is more than just a, I know. a place on the side. Right. So a lot of good places to eat, a lot of good places to see. New Jamaican restaurants came up. You had a Puerto Rican um, restaurant out there we for had a, a minute? Puerto Rican is it still restaurant? out there? It's not. It's been replaced by a restaurant called Access. Access okay. Lounge and Restaurants. Great place to go to. Right. Um, come out. Come visit. Is a great place. We've got a, a Discovery Parks new park right along the Chattahoochee. Uh, Six Flags is is officially in Mableton. So as you come to enjoy the water and the rides, uh, you're coming into Mableton. So, you know, the more the merrier. We're happy to have you. Do you need more Dollar General and Dollar Stores out there? That's, we, a, uh, we, that's we, a sore spot for a lot of people. It is a sore spot, and it will continue to be a sore spot. My my I view my role as, as, as mayor is to go out and attract the types of businesses and boutiques and shops that people that live there actually want to shop at. More barbecue. Michael Owens, mayor for the city of Mapleton. Thank you so much for coming in and taking the time. I really appreciate it. Best Thank of luck you for to having you. me. I do appreciate it. I'll be back soon. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. 45 seconds, maybe not a lot of time, but when it comes down to life or death, those 45 seconds are crucial. And especially if you talk about leading up to an arrest or handcuffing or searching or even worse, something that could happen depending on the way a police officer speaks to a black driver. And this was at the core of a new study that analyzed hundreds of police body cam videos, including the initial moments before George Floyd's death. And here to explain why an officer's first 45 words during a traffic stop can determine the outcome, I'm joined now by Virginia Tech Assistant Professor Eugenia Rowe, who led this study on traffic stop escalations. Professor, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Rose, for having me here. I really appreciate um, giving us the opportunity to share the work. Fascinating, c- compelling research here. First, I want to back up for our listeners. How did you all even begin to decide that you wanted to to analyze this, those first interactions? Right. So the most common way people come into contact with police is through car stops. Uh, Nearly 18.7 million drivers are stopped by police each year in the United States, but not all groups share the same experience. In this country, there's a clear racial disparity in who is stopped by the police when driving. And in addition to being stopped at higher rates, Black drivers are more likely to be handcuffed, searched, and arrested than any other racial demographic. Uh, In fact, in our own sample of 850 stops of Black and white drivers, nearly one out of six Black drivers stopped by an officer were either arrested, searched, or handcuffed, whereas less than 1% of white drivers uh, experienced one uh, one of these outcomes. So we were wondering what is going on in these stops, right? Mm -hmm. What happens in the very initial moments of the interaction between an officer and the driver? Uh, Do these initial moments shape what is going to unfold? And these are the questions that motivated our work. And so you all analyzed how many traffic stops here and from I'm, I'm guessing throughout the nation. 
Yes. So ultimately, we started off with 850 uh, stops of black and white drivers from a medium sized city, uh, racially diverse city. But we eventually limited our sample to black drivers, only 577 black drivers, um, because there were not enough uh, escalated stops that involved white drivers. Wow. (sighs) Professor, what stood out to you as you all were analyzing this and and collecting this data was it just even in demeanor the volume of the conversation give our listeners some insight here right so we so we did not look at um the nonverbal aspects of communication we really focused on words because words have power and our work shows that the first 45 words spoken by law enforcement Um, during a car stop with a Black driver can be quite telling about how the stop will conclude. You know, simply in escalated stops where the stops end in the search, arrest, or handcuffing of a Black driver, the officer gives an order but does not provide a reason for the stop to the driver in the first 45 words, which occurs typically in the first 27 seconds. Wow. Wow. Hmm. You all also had black men analyze the police body cam videos. I, I, uh, may know, yes. I may know the answer to this, but what were their reactions? Right. So in a second study, we had black male adults in the United States listen to the audio recordings of 10 randomized car stops, five that escalated, five that did not, and asked about their feelings and predictions about each stop's outcome. And we found that if the officer's initial 45 words consisted of orders and no reason for the stop, it significantly swayed the participants' perception of the officer and their anticipation about how the stop would end, including whether uh, force would be used on them by the officer. Uh, In other words, for Black male adults, the officer's first, first 45 words function as a predictor of how they perceive the officer, what mm-hmm. might happen next, as well as anxiety over whether force will be used on them. And I can give you numbers if you'd like. Yeah, let's let's get into yeah. that because I think our listeners might find that fascinating. Let's talk about some of those numbers that you all were, were able to extrapolate from this. Right. So in the study, when officers began with orders without reasons, our Black male U.S. participants predicted uh, an escalation in over 84% of cases as opposed to only 37% when officers provided reasons without issuing orders in the stop. Uh, Furthermore, anxiety over potential use of force was reported in uh, over 80% of the stops initiated with orders but no reasons compared to less than half, 47% in stops where reasons were given without orders. And for those reasons given without orders, take that further, what were they? I mean, did they just, go ahead. Right, right. So reasons could, uh, we focus on what's called uh, institutional dialogue acts. And dialogue acts are basically uh, conversational roadmaps um, that give um, the people involved in the discussion an idea of what might happen next. And in traffic stops, officers typically engage in uh, several institutional dialogue acts, which is typically greeting. Hi, I'm Officer So-and-so from mm-hmm. 
uh, city department. Uh, and then the officer provides a reason. I'm stopping you because your tags are expired or mm-hmm. your taillights are broken. And then the officer provides a sanction. I'm going to give you a ticket, et cetera. So there are these um, speech acts that we call institutional dialogue acts. And the reasons typically are can range from anywhere from the officer um, you know, explaining why, basically explaining why the driver was stopped. Um, And it can take like, you know, explicit expressions of like, the reason why I stopped you to, do you know why I'm stopping you? Or do Mm -hmm. you know that your tags are expired? So we checked for both implicit and explicit reasons. And in terms of the police officers, how diverse was that? Was it mostly white? Can you get a breakdown there? Yeah, so we control for a variety of factors in our research, Um, the drivers and the officers, race and gender demographics, basically, the neighborhood crime statistics in which the stop occurred, Mm -hmm. the officer's stated legal justification for the stop, whether the car stop was a traffic stop or not. Um, whether a few officers are driving this pattern, whether it is the driver's response to the officer's uh, first 45 words, and our results still hold true even after taking these variables into consideration. So in other words, uh, I'd like to emphasize that these factors that I just mentioned are not what contributes to escalated outcomes in terms of handcuffing, search, and arrest as much as the officer's first words the first to the driver words. in mm-hmm. less than the first 30 seconds of interaction. Yes. And that often you all, as you reveal, can determine what happens next. This escalates to either a, a search, an arrest, or some other type of outcome. Right. right. So we, we wanted to examine, hey, what what is happening in the very beginning of stops that do and not do and do not end in escalated outcomes? Mm. If you could, how would you hope that law enforcement or any other regulatory body could use this, this information and in, in this data? Right. So, so this boils down to de-escalation um, strategies and we wanted to, uh, really make the connection over, um, you know, what, what, what does this linguistic signature mean? Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we wanted to, to really have, um, like a role in de-escalation in a meaningful way. We, uh, after discovering that escalated car stops that did not involve use of force, Mm -hmm. you know, that had arrest, handcuff and search, these are not exciting outcomes, but nonetheless, they do not involve use of force. So after discovering this unique linguistic signature where the officer starts with an order without explaining the reason for the stop, led us to explore if this pattern in officer language in less than the first 30 seconds persisted in stops involving force. Um, And for this, we analyzed initial moments of the highly publicized encounter between George Floyd and uh, former officer Lane, uh, who was a first responding officer on May 25th, 2020, about a little over than three years ago. And we find that in less than the first 30 seconds of interaction between Floyd and the officer, the officer communicated 57 words over nine speech terms, all of which were physical orders. 
And despite Floyd's 11 turns of dialogue consisting of apologies, requests for reasons, assertions of innocence, pleas, um, and expressions of fear, each of Floyd's dialogue act was met with one singular response, which was an order. Mm -hmm. So going back to your question, you know, what can we do um, in terms of de-escalation? The fact that the officer's initial words during a car stop can foretell an escalated outcome suggests that escalation need not build over the course of the stop. Stops that end end in escalation often begin in escalation. Mm. And the key difference in stops that do and do not escalate lies in the officer's first words, which occur in less than 30 seconds. And what this confirms is the critical role of officers' initial language to the driver in the context of de-escalation and its potential to restore trust in police community relations, especially for the members of the Black community. And as researchers, we anticipate that our study will ignite the necessary conversations in law enforcement circles, among policymakers. Right, sorry. No, no, go ahead, finish. Um, about the need to enhance de-escalation training that focuses on uh, officers' choice of language to the driver in the very initial moments of the encounter. In other words, less command-type language and more of just simple conversation or reason. So prior research shows that there is a way to signal respect um, to drivers. Uh, And this is the work done by my colleagues at Stanford that has been published um, about five years ago. And language that officer language that signals respect are such those that when the officer greets the driver and introduces themselves, hey, I'm officer from so-and-so city and department. Mm -hmm. The officer provides a reason for the stop on the get-go saying that, hey, the reason we provide you is because And the officer addresses the driver with formal rather than informal titles, right? Formal titles meaning sir, ma'am, Mr., Miss, Mrs., um, rather than informal uh, titles such as hey, buddy, boss, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So these are some of the dialogue Uh, the dialogue acts uh, in which the officers can signal greater respect. But systemically, systemically, how do we how do we actually make sure that, you know, officers are incentivized to signal respect in their um, in their conversations uh, with the driver? Right. How do we do that? And what we want to emphasize is that this our research suggests that the first step towards improving law enforcement de-escalation starts with a closer look at everyday interactions you know not cases like george floyd not cases like tyree nichols but everyday interactions and we were wondering what if we institutionalize systematic rigorous footage review for routine car stops Mm -hmm. right with today's advancement in computing technology especially in the field of language models comprehensive review and analysis of body camera footage is not just feasible, but practical if approached with scientific robust care. Mm. And the power and promise of systematic footage review to better understand the interaction between officers and citizens uh, can lead to vital changes that may foster trust, transparency, and reduce and reduce 
reducing fear and anxiety, especially uh, for members of um, of our Black communities. And correct me if I'm wrong, this was the first type of research like this that I could, that I had ever heard of. You're all the first to do this. Right. Um, my colleague, um, uh, Dr. Jennifer Eberhardt, she's a psychologist at Stanford. Um, she started this work um, uh, back, way back. Um, she uh, she researches implicit biases uh, in the context of uh, race, and she won a MacArthur grant, which supported this research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our initial work began in 2017, where we try to understand what kind of language from the officers signal respect versus those that don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech Assistant Professor Eugenia Rowe, the lead author on the study of traffic stops that lead to escalations. We'll have a link from our website to yours. Fascinating study, compelling. Thank you so much, Professor, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rose. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Rezell, and Tiffany Griffith. Our engineer is Soria Vanderwerth. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's show, it's online. It's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Don't worry, Fresh Air with Terry Gross is next. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm-hmm. WABE. W-A-B-E.